0: Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for another opportunity to gather together as people belonging to you. Gathering together as people seeking you. God, we gather this morning as a group of people who desire to worship you. I pray that our worship of you would continue as we study your word God as we um, as we just sang that our lives would be a sanctuary a place that you dwell and then as you are living in us God that you would be moving us and guiding us and living through us so that we might represent you and participate in kingdom work God, help us to see the the importance of living for something greater than ourselves. God, help us to find meaning and purpose in your kingdom. God, help us to hear these words from Christ recorded so many years ago, but see them as truth, not just as some good saying or some good thought, but instead words from you that are truth, truth about what you desire of us as people who represent your Son. God, help us to respond to your Holy Spirit in a way that only brings honor to you. And God, as we are tempted to be distracted, and let our minds wander, away from your glory God bring us back in Jesus name I pray amen Amen. who is it that can tell you what to do who in your life think for a moment who in your life do you trust enough that they can tell you what to do Um, they give you instructions and you do them they give you some kind of call or purpose in life and you do them. Remember if you're an adult, remember when you were a child and uh, somebody gave you an adult, maybe gave you uh, some instructions and told you something to do and you trusted them enough to uh, follow through with that. Kids, children, young people, uh, who is it now in your life that is trying to uh, tell you what to do? And, and you think, well, well, they're trying to tell me what to do, but I'm not going to do what they say. But there is this person that I trust. And if they tell me to do those things, then, uh, then I'll do it. It happens a lot in our house at home. Uh, Mandy will say a set of instructions. And there will be a lot of grumbling and complaining. And then I come in with force and authority and blazing fire out of my eyes. And the children listen. They listen to me. They do what I tell them to do. It happens every day. When you think through that, um what we're trying to do when people give us instructions is we're trying to figure out is what they're saying the truth? Is what they're saying or telling me to do worthy of being done? Is what they're saying or telling me to do is it really something that's worthy of my time? Is it really something that I should be that I should be doing? When we approach the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is giving us a new pattern, a new way of life to live, different from any culture, different from any way before. He's giving us a set of instructions to live by, something something different to do. And so we have to come to a moment where we, where we have to decide and trust in, does Christ have the authority to tell us what to do? Does he have the authority to tell us what to do? When we begin to wrestle with that and decide, is what he's telling us to do, is it the truth? Is he worthy of following? Does he have authority to do that? Then we can move forward in our relationship with him. We can mature in what he's telling us to do. We can mature in the way that he has set out for us to be a part of. Another question you might ask yourself, and we've mentioned this a number of times together, but who is it that you're trying to become? Who, Who is it that you're trying to become? Whose actions are you following? Whose choice in entertainment are you following? Whose choice in music selection are you following? I mean, I think back to why I even like bluegrass music, and it's all to blame from my parents and my grandparents. It's because of them. If they would have listened to something different growing up, when I was growing up, I'm sure that I might be interested in listening to those same things. But my uh, like or or my taste in music comes from those that influenced me the most. And really, who is it that I'm trying to become? The one that's influenced my actions, my thoughts, my direction in life. My parents had a lot of impact upon that. My grandparents had a lot of impact upon that. So you have to ask yourself the same question. Who is it that you're trying to become? Another question you can ask yourself this morning, I'm giving you four really, uh, is who can be perfect? Who can be perfect? I remember my cousin, who's a year older than me, great basketball and cheerleading star in her high school. Uh, she, um, she mentioned that her coach uh, had extra practices planned for their basketball team her senior year. And her and some friends tried to rebel against that. Come on, coach. Like you're, you're, you're adding these extra practices because you're wanting us to become, become perfect. But we know, coach, come on. You know it too. Nobody's perfect. You keep saying that practice is going to make perfect, but if nobody's perfect, then why even practice? And They tried to get out of practice, and it didn't, it didn't work. Uh, and they still became a great team, but they were not even close to being perfect. Can anyone actually be perfect? Can we be perfect? And then the last question I want to ask you, and I want you to ask yourself this morning, is who is truly worthy of hearing the gospel? The gospel I'm talking about is the good news of Jesus. Who is worthy of hearing the gospel? When we approach the Sermon on the Mount, we approach these followers or listeners to Jesus preaching the sermon who are being convinced that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, that He is the Son of God, that He's coming with all authority given to Him by God, and He's preaching this sermon for them to listen to and then put into action. Or remember back just a few months ago when we talked about that Jesus said he, He's coming with authority. He, he comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. He comes with authority. Remember through things that you've read about him already. Who is this that he would teach with such great authority? Recognizing that he has authority. Remember at the end of his, at the end of his ministry or, or life on this earth, he presented to his followers, don't, don't be dismayed, don't, don't be fearful. You need to understand, don't even be doubtful. You need to understand that all authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. And I think the many years that we are removed from that statement being made here on this earth, we still question it. Does Christ really still have all authority? Is anyone above Him? And we wrestle with that daily. Matthew 5.48 that we're going to end with today says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I remember some college students in Albuquerque really wrestling with this. I remember one in particular arguing, saying, There's no way, there's no way that Christ would say this. I mean, if Christ is all-knowing, He knows we can't be perfect. Why would He, why would he tell us something impossible to do? He, he's just making a saying. It's just a, it's just a statement, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, why would Christ waste His words? Why would He waste His time asking us to do something or asking us to break the mold that we're in and be something different if He didn't truly believe that we could follow His his words? He wants us to be perfect in love. He wants us to represent Him in love. I mean, these believers, these followers, these early Christians, they, they knew what Roman and Jewish culture asked them to do. They knew how to respond in a Jewish way. They knew how to respond in a Roman way. Culture had really impacted them. And they knew exactly how to respond. Uh, you've, maybe you've been to some different cultures than you grew up in, some different traditions. We had a, a student that his mom grew up in South Korea. And when he came to our house, he said, Look, my mom ingrained it in me. I do not wear my shoes in your house. So I'm taking them off at the door. Well, then it's funny how culture changes, you know. Then I'm like, well, maybe I should be taking my shoes off too. I don't know. This is my house. I understand. But should I, should I change to that also? When We go to different cultures and we begin experiencing new things. And here Christ is setting new standards. He's putting these things out there, these instructions for us to abide in, for us to walk in, for us to live by, that represent the culture that he wants us to be a part of. Represent the kingdom that he wants us to be representing. I've told you the story before, but my, my family, the Thackersons, love their last name. They love the fact that we have this last name that not many people do. I've told you before that if you meet a Thackerson, you're going to think, well, I know one other Thackerson, I wonder if they're related. Guarantee we are. There's not many of us. And more of them are making choices. There's less and less of them. Because of the things, the roads that they want to go down. We have this name we're trying to withhold. This culture, this family tradition that we're trying to keep because it's a worthy thing to keep. My grandpa argued with me, and some of you know him. Uh, my, one of my nicknames is Matt Thack, and he—that's not your name. Well, I, grandpa, I know. Papa, I know it's not my name, but your real name's not Papa either, you know. And I mean, well, that's what we call you, you know. And he's like, "Well, last name is Thackerson. Make sure you tell people that." So let me tell you, my last name is Thackerson. Who is it that we're trying to become? And these early believers, these followers of Jesus, these Christians—they knew all about Roman and Jewish culture. They knew how to act. They knew what their character was supposed to be like. They knew what their daily actions should be about. And then Christ came in and began instructing his followers to be different. He began instructing his followers to change the mold of the life that they had been living. You you know a mold, right? It's funny if you stay in the same old mold your entire life. You know what happens to you? You get moldy. And you need to be cleaned. And set up and put in a different in a different way. D. A. Carson says this: The follower of Jesus must not stoop to the low standards of his society. He is rather to pattern himself after his heavenly Father. The disciple of Jesus will stand out in the world because of the divine quality of his love. Christ is calling us to live above reproach. He sets a, a new standard. He raises the bar. He gives a different pattern to live by. And so we have to study God's word and see what is it that Christ wants us to be. As a believer of Jesus, you set everyone else aside that you know. And you say, I want to follow Jesus. He is Lord of my life. So I pattern my life after Him. I pattern my life after Him. I want to represent Christ and Christ alone. So turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll start together in verse 43. Matthew 5, verse 43 says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And at this moment when Christ is saying this saying... Those that are hearing these words from Jesus say, yes, we have heard that, and we know that's a statement to be living by. That's a statement that I can apply to my life and I should be doing. Culture has taught me, Jewish culture has taught me that this is the way that I should be living. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Have you had these moments in your life where someone has questioned the way that you lived? I see that this is the way that you live, but let me tell you about this. I see that for the most part of your life, you've been rooting for the Dallas Cowboys, but let me show you a different team to root for. And in that moment, you have to decide, is this really a friend or is this an enemy? Do they even know what they're talking about? They're trying to change my entire enthusiasm towards a a really terrible team. I want to stay with this really somewhat mediocre team. You begin to question question who they are and what they're about to tell you. And so in this case, in this sense, you have to remember back already to what Christ said at the beginning of a sermon. You have to remember from the things that, if, you, if you've been a believer for a long time or in church for a long time, you have to remember the things that you already have learned about Jesus and put into perspective, does he have the authority to change the way life is to be lived? And if you agree that he does, then the things that he says and following, you put into practice in your life. So you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which is a funny thing, just like last week, because this still holds true today. M- many people in our world today, including a number of Christians that I know, hold to this statement. Well, I love my neighbor, but I have several enemies and I hate them. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Christ in authority states this. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Christ begins this revolution, this new thought, this new mindset, this new pattern, this new mold that his followers are going to live in or live by. It's so different from what they've been taught completely against culture. And I grew up redneck, right? But generations before my generation, my redneck generation came, generation before that, a a very serious topic. Rednecks that I know throughout my family history were very racist. They began uh, movements against other races because of their hatred towards A color, or hatred towards a culture, or hatred towards a lifestyle. So they're outspoken. We're going to stand up against this. We're going to be completely, we're going to start a revolution if we have to, to be against this. This We're not going to change anything. This is the way it's supposed to be. I mean, these words that Christ are saying here could almost almost fill the tension. You're asking us to be completely different from what we've always been taught to be to live against the grain, to be different from the rest of the world, that's, that's a difficult moment. It's a moment where we're, we're questioning the authority of Christ. We're questioning, does Christ even know what he's saying? We're questioning, is he worthy of being followed? I mean, Should we even, should we even listen to these words anymore? And I wonder if, if any at that moment stood up and walked out or walked down a mountain and walked away from the sermon. I'm not listening to anymore. This guy's crazy. He's telling us to love our enemies. He's telling us to pray for those who persecute me. This is is ridiculous. I'm not following this guy anymore. You wonder what happened at that moment. And today, in your shoes, in my shoes, when we hear these words, do we see them just as words? Do we see them just as a good saying? Or do we see them as something that Christ wants us to live wholeheartedly for, to abide in, to obediently follow him in. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Though it's very different, we, we still have to be reminded that praying for the enemy happened throughout the Old Testament. I mean, David prayed for his enemies all the time. Listen to this. Psalm 7:6 Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. And David was praying for his enemies. That's not uncommon. That's that's heard That's heard of, right? Psalm 1840, You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. So I mean, that was kind of culture. Oh yeah, I'll pray for my enemies. But Christ is calling them to pray in a different way. Christ is calling them to pray in a loving, unconditional love kind of way. That they might, those who rebelled, those who are sinners, those who are enemies of me and maybe even enemies of God might be changed and transformed in the likeness of Christ. Because see, Christ has something different in mind. He's not just thinking about your reputation or your name, but He's thinking about God and God's kingdom and God's glory and eternity He has in mind. So He says, love your enemies. Why? So that they might experience the the unconditional love that you and I have experienced. Christ is telling His followers here, the people who are listening to him, the people who are going to be saved by him. Hey, this is the way someone who's saved by me acts. Hey, this is the way that someone who's saved by me lives. This is what, uh, this is how somebody that's saved by me, this is how they love. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. When we question the authority of Christ, One of the things that he says is he's the son of God. We question that too. Is he really God's son? Well, how do we know? How do we know if he's God's son? By the way that he acts. Does his character represent his father? Does his actions represent his father? Does his choices represent his father? Does the way he forgives represent his father? Does the way he loves represent his father? All those things we recognize. Well, every bit of... His character represents the same character of God. So he must be from God at least. Is he the son of God? One would say so because of the way that he he acts. And Christ is asking us to participate in the heavenly kingdom ruled by someone outside of this world, ruled by love and righteousness. So because of that, that, that's what we're representing. So we want to be people who are abiding in Christ, obediently following him, and representing the characteristics that he desires of us. One author says this, To participate in the kingdom relates the disciple to the Father in a unique way. And that unique relationship involves doing His will. You represent the Father. The Son represents the Father. The Son does the Father's will. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. Our character changes. Our decision, our choices change to reflect who God is. I mean, in my short time on this earth my short time belonging to Rex and Mary Thackerson, I cannot remember how many times someone has said to me, well, you're, you're Rex's boy, aren't you? You look just like your dad. Man, you're, you're like little Rex. I mean, even my granddad would walk in to see my granddad. I hadn't seen him in a few months, you know, whatever, and I'd walk in and, well, hello, Rex, come on in here. Granddaddy, I'm not Rex, I'm Matt. Well, whatever, it's the same thing. No, it's not. There's no denying it. A few years ago at a playoff baseball game, my mom and dad came to watch the game with us, and I introduced my dad to one of our friends from, from Idaho and I introduced him trying to make a joke. I introduced him as my stepdad. And my dad and I look almost like identical twins. I look just like him. And so maybe a little bit better looking. I don't know. But anyways, I introduce him. Hey, this is my stepdad. And my friend just like looks at him, looks at me, looks at things, He's like, man, he's thinking, wow, that's his stepdad. But they sure do look a lot alike. And then everybody starts laughing. And we say, no, I'm just kidding. If you can't tell by the outward appearance, I really am his, his son. And throughout my life, you try and deny those things, but then you realize, and I've had many conversations with you, how much you're becoming like that person, the person that's influenced you the most. You represent that person, you show that character. Well, why do you respond like this? Well, this person who influenced me the most led me to respond like this. They influenced me, and I think this is a good way to respond. I think this is the right way to respond because this person influenced me the most. And the same with our relationship with God. Christ is calling us. He's calling us to be like Him. He's calling us to represent God wholeheartedly. And so in that, He calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm going to stop for just a second here because I think some of you are thinking, well, I don't have any enemies. I don't have anybody that is persecuting me. Well, I could use the prayer, so let me be your enemy. I could use the prayer, let me persecute you, so you. So at least I know one person's praying for me. I think we have enemies. I mean, if you're representing Christ, the world is against you because you're representing something out of this world. You're representing something greater than this world. You represent a Savior who wants to be in total control of the world, that everyone would bow down to Him. I mean, you struggle with that daily, bowing down to Christ. The rest of the world does too. And when we share words like, Christ is it, he's everything, not everyone is in agreement with that. So our job is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in doing that, verse 45 says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Again, Christ is making this this statement. When he's speaking this truth, he's putting our eyes and our vision upon where God is, at a place of authority, not at some lowly throne set in Saudi Arabia or Egypt or West Texas or southeastern New Mexico, but instead he is in heaven ruling over all. And because of that, we listen to him and we represent him. And then Christ goes on to say, uh, it's a revolution, it's different, but you need to know You need to know something about the enemy. You need to know something about good versus bad. Uh, the, the second part of verse 45 says this, for he makes the sun rise, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Here's a character of God. He, he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, a character of God, a loving, unconditional, sovereign, just, righteous God, that he would allow his Son and His reigns to rise and fall on even His enemies. He knows that the Sun must rise. He doesn't darken it just for all his enemies, but He lets it He allows it to rise on even the good and His enemies. He doesn't just let the rain fall on those who are good and righteous, but also on those who are his enemies. A few years ago, in the middle of a drought, everyone's saying, "Pray for rain, pray for rain, pray for rain." So we hold a worship service at the church. We're going to ask God to bring His rain. You know, Lord, we're pleading. We're 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 trusting you as, as people belonging to you, as righteous, holy ones. We're asking in faith. We're asking in faith that you would send rains. And I couldn't help but sit there on the pew and think, you know, what about this statement? Should we get some unrighteous people to come in here too? Because he's going to make it rain on everybody. So let's get a whole bunch of people, righteous, unrighteous, and let's all be asking, Hey, can we have some can we have some rain? I mean God is showing us a characteristic of Himself here. A characteristic that he desires that none should perish. A characteristic that at just the right time, while we were still sinners or enemies to God, he gives us his son so that we might be redeemed. He sees that the entire world should have salvation because it can't bear the wrath of God. He sees that his enemies, those who are against him, should have experienced his love as well. And this is where we as followers of Jesus, we decide, is what Jesus is saying truth or is it a lie? Is it truth or is it just some great statement? Put it on the coffee mug and pretend that we we live by it. Or is it the truth from God? that we should represent this characteristic of God, that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. Verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And How great is it to be a part of a loving community of believers? How encouraging is it to join together weekly, to gather together, to be loved by one another. And what a blessing that is to be loved by you. I hope it's a blessing that I love you back. What a blessing that is. And, and honestly, how easy it is to love you. It's so much easier to love somebody who says I love you than it is for somebody who says I hate you. And Christ is saying, a characteristic of someone belonging to me a characteristic of someone kingdom-focused, a characteristic of someone who is a son or daughter of the Father who is in heaven, loves even those who are their enemies. It goes on to say in verse 46, do not even the tax collectors do the same? Even the tax collectors do the same? You're putting yourself, I mean, when you love just those who love you, you're putting yourself on, on a lower pedestal. You're putting yourself down there with, with regular society. You're putting yourself down with normal culture. You're putting yourself down there with everyone else. Christ has called you to be to be different. Verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Christ is desiring that his kingdom be extended. That his kingdom be different from the rest of the world. So he has set us apart. We should remain set apart. We should be holy. Christ has made us righteous. We should live a righteous life. We follow in the footsteps of Christ and only Christ. Verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You're You're just like everyone. You're just like everyone else. Be different. Be like Christ. Break the mold. Stop acting like those who don't belong to the kingdom. Instead, act like or live like those people who belong to the kingdom of God. Be like Christ. Be like our Heavenly Father. And verse 48 ends this little section by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The trouble that we have today is this, that we're working off a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. We base most of our life upon, well, this guy told me this thing, and this guy told me this thing, and this lady told me this thing, and this lady told me this thing. And we kind of have this uh, mixture of what we think Christ desires of us. I've heard that we should be doing this, and I've heard maybe we should be doing this, and we base it off of those things. We had a student live with us for a short time, and uh, he got busted for uh, using counterfeit money at the Dairy Queen that he worked at. It wasn't really a smart move, but... He had counterfeit money that his friends made him and he thought it would be a cool thing to try and use it. So he got in trouble for using this counterfeit money. Man, if I just had a better counterfeit copy. If my counterfeit copy would have just been a better copy, maybe it would have passed by a little bit better. Well, why not just use the money that Dairy Queen was paying you to work there? Oh, that's too, that's too long. i got to wait too long for that paycheck. I just want to use this counterfeit money. Well, this counterfeit money got you in... To a bunch of mess, yeah, but it was—it almost looked perfect. It looked almost like the original. A few years ago, uh, we were entrusted with a big uh, ice chest full of coins and and uh, that Mandy's grandpa had collected. And going through uh, the coins and the things that he had collected, I found a, uh, con- uh, a, a, a Texas twenty-dollar bill from when Texas was its own country. Right, Republic of Texas twenty-dollar bill, and I thought, man, have I just come into? I mean, this has got to be heaven, right? I mean, Texas on a twenty-dollar bill. This is incredible, and I was fooled by it. It was counterfeit. It was fake. Somebody had made it, and maybe his grandpa bought it at some kind of uh, some kind of little flea market or something, and it was com- it's completely fake. It's a counterfeit thing. It's a copy of what it could have looked like, but it is not. It is not the original. It's a copy of a copy of a copy, and it's counterfeit. And Christian, I think many of us are just trying to walk around in these counterfeit lives. Uh, I want to represent Christ because I've I've been impacted by Him a little bit. But what He's really calling me to do is very difficult. He's asked me to love my neighbors, to pray for those who persecute me. He's asked me to repent. He's asked me to reconcile. He's asked me to love him more than anything else in this world. He's asked me to deny myself, to take up cross to follow him. So what can I do? What's the minimum I can do to make it appear like I follow him, but not really? I'm going to pick somebody out. This guy or this guy or this gal, they look a little bit like Jesus. I'm just going to follow them. They've got it figured out. Their life looks blessed and happy, like meaning in life. I'm going to follow that it's a copy of a copy and it's not following Jesus so when Christ ascended back into heaven he left the charge to the church he left the charge to his followers go and represent me teach people to obey me the entire world go share this good news about me that group of people began to gather what are we going to do? how do we live? we know how to live as a Jewish person we know how to live as a Roman How do we live as somebody who follows Christ? How do we live as somebody who Christ is Lord of our life? How do we live? So what did they do? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They figured out, they found out, who is it that walked beside Jesus? Let's study what they have to say about Jesus. And let's put into action who Jesus is. Let's represent him. We study his words today. Thank God he's preserved his words so that we can still have it today and trust that it is his truth. We don't mold ourselves or pattern ourselves against people of this world, but instead we mold ourselves or pattern ourselves against who Christ is and what he desires of our life. And when people can justify their actions because of the culture that we live in and say, well, this is a a good way to live and it's a righteous way to live in our eyes. We turn back and say, but what is Christ's desire of me what what is his character him belonging to god him being god let me represent him let me be an example of our heavenly father who is perfect let me love like christ loves god loved rebellious sinners he loves his enemies he sent His Son to die for you and I and for the rest of the world so that we might be redeemed. John chapter 13 says this, starting in verse 31. We'll end, we'll end here together. John 13, verse 31. And when He had gone out, let me remind you who the He is. The He is Judas. Recognize that name? The one who betrayed Jesus. When He had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. So little children, listen. Verse 33 says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But a new new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In this short dialogue that Christ has with his followers, may I remind you that the the one who betrayed him just exited to go and betray him. The one that had walked just like the other 11, walked with Christ, followed Christ, went to betray Christ, to become an enemy of Christ. And Christ begins to remind those 11, you will love one another. Could could it be that 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 statement might have been pointed towards the enemy? Could it be that that statement might have been pointed towards when Judas comes back and you see him again, you're going to recognize that he's the enemy? But what's going to set you apart is how you respond to Him. What's going to to set you apart as people who belong to me is how you respond to those who persecute you, those who are an enemy to you. Will you love Him still? And that's our call today, that we might represent Christ, that we might represent God and His kingdom with a character, with actions that show love for one another, even the enemy. Man, what a call. What a difficult task. It's hard enough to love the people in your house sometimes, but to love our enemy, to love the ones that we think are against us, that's what sets us apart. That's what makes us represent the one who loved his enemies so much That he sent his son to die. He sent his son to remove sin. He sent his son to provide a way of righteousness because he loved us so much. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for loving us. God, thank you so much for providing a way of opportunity. Thank you. That through your unconditional love, through your sovereignty, through your redeeming grace, through your all-knowing, that you saw our weakness, and that while we were still sinners, still enemies to you, that you allow Christ to die for us. So, God, for those in this room who have called Christ Lord and confessed Him as Lord, God, help us to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live you ruling over us, to live walking in the actions that you want us to be a part of, to live in a way that we love our enemies, and we pray for those who are persecuting us, that they might come to faith in Christ that they might might experience the unconditional love you have for them God that they may be saved from your wrath forgiven of their sins and no longer be enemies to you God help us to be people that have passion like Christ who do not just live for ourselves, but live for something greater than ourself God, help us this morning to respond to you in a way that brings you honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. We have a moment of invitation.